All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Flushing Bible Church Sunday School. Now that it's 10 after, we've kind of uh, cutting ourselves a little short. So let's have a quick word of prayer and then we'll get started this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the knowledge that we can gain from study of the Bible, and uh, we can learn so much about the world around us. The fact that you have created this world, that you have given us life, and that you have also given us an opportunity to have eternal life. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have through faith in Christ. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers, and I just pray that that he would be uh, in the forefront of our minds this morning and that he would lead us into the truth. And we thank you that uh, you have given us this knowledge in your word, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us apply it to our lives so that we can be known as wise people. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning uh, we'll make our way through a quick make our way quickly through a couple of articles here that actually have more to do with our study of Revelation than they do uh, Proverbs or really anything else. And actually, these are, this is from about a month ago, so this is like, this is old news, but nevertheless, it's still uh, relevant to us and to our study. Here's an article from Al Jazeera. Title says, uh, Russia to launch major military drills with China and others. So in our, uh, don't want to give too much away about our study of Revelation this morning, but in Revelation chapter 16, it talks about the Euphrates River being dried up, making way for the kings of the east to invade Israel, essentially. And here we have uh, a coming together of what I would classify as the kings of the East. Uh, Article says, Russia said it will launch sweeping military drills together with forces from China to show off increasingly close defense ties between Moscow and Beijing amid war in Ukraine. The Vostok 2022 exercise will be held September 1st through the 7th, so it's over a month ago, in various locations in Russia's Far East and the Sea of Japan, It involved more than 50,000 troops and 5,000 weapons units, including 140 aircraft, 60 warships, according to the Russian uh, Defense Ministry. It released a video of Chinese troops arriving in Japan, uh, or not in Japan, uh, in preparation for the massive exercise. The drills will be conducted at seven firing ranges in far eastern Russia and will engage troops from several ex-Soviet nations, China, India, Laos, Mongolia, Nicaragua, and Syria, in this exercise. Now, they do have this exercise uh, pretty much on an annual basis. I I believe that they did not do it during COVID years, so this is the first one in a while, so that's probably some of the reason why it's making the news. Uh, But this extensive cooperation between China and Russia in this exercise is a little bit more new. Now, here's a website. I wouldn't recommend getting your news (laughs) from this website. It's quite, it is 
pretty humorous. I mean, unless you want to get a good laugh at some of these things. This is the World Socialist website, uh, WSWS.org. And uh, Rush, again, talking about the same thing, but they actually named some of the other countries, which is, well, if you remember this for the church service, uh, it'll do you well. Russia, uh, September 4th, this is, article is from Russia, alongside China and 12 other countries, launched the Vostok 2022 military exercise in East Asia last Thursday that are scheduled to run through September 7th. The military collaboration between Moscow and Beijing is developing as the U.S. provocatively deepens its proxy war against Russia and Ukraine and continually inflames tensions with China over Taiwan. So that's kind of, kind of, uh, humorous, their take on things. But then they list the countries also. The countries participating in the war games in addition to Russia and China are India, Mongolia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Tajikistan, Laos, Nicaragua, Syria, and Algeria. Uh, yeah, I won't read the rest of it, but it, there you go. So the all these nations from the east, essentially, east of the Euphrates River, coming together in a military exercise to uh, get ready for something, some sort of conflict at any rate. Uh, I think the Bible gives us a good indication of what that is. Here's another one. This is from the Hindu. This is more recent, October 12th. Uh, India and China hold consultations ahead of important communist parties Party Congress in Beijing. Uh, India and China on Tuesday held consultations on bilateral relations in Beijing, days ahead of the Chinese leadership, convening for a once-in-five-years Communist Party Congress that will set policies for the coming decade. So just something to keep in mind, oh, by the way, when you hear of Chinese businesses and these kinds of things, doing business in the United States. Yeah, every business in China is run by the Chinese Communist Party. So when America is doing business with these Chinese businesses, you're actually doing business with the Chinese Communists, just so we understand that. Both sides held candid talks on bilateral ties, international and regional issues, the Chinese foreign ministry said in a statement, the consultation on ties, which have remained strained in the wake of the still ongoing line of actual control crisis, beginning in April 2020, came ahead of Sunday's all-important party Congress. So India and China, if you hadn't been paying attention to that during the COVID times, were very close to war <coughs> over the border between India and China, but now they're trying to uh, work that out. And oh, by the way, India and China have uh, just amongst themselves oh, uh, around 30% of the entire world's population just in those two nations. So when China and India come together, that is quite a military force, at least in terms of, of people. Anyway, and in the Korean War, that was we fought against the Chinese in large measure, and their uh, advantage, the Chinese advantage, was just the sheer number of people that they could uh, throw onto the battlefield. 
So, with that, quickly, we will make our way to the book of Proverbs, how to act like a Christian, which is oh so important in this world in which we are living today, particularly for the young people. Uh, I saw, have seen articles this this past week describing how uh, young people, uh, infants, and even uh, up to, well, probably toddlers at this point, are developing, having uh, intellectual development problems, developmental problems, kids that were born during COVID, uh, not learning how to speak quickly or on schedule and these kinds of things. And uh, there's probably a number of reasons for that. And that pales in comparison to... (laughs) what I would say kids in in middle school and high school who are growing up now and since post-COVID and during COVID and post-COVID, it's out of control. The the anti-God rhetoric and teaching that is going on in in supposedly good schools is uh, very frightening to say the least. So if ever... There is a time to return to the Word and instill these principles in our children. It is, it is now. They need it. And, of course, as adults, uh, you, don't ever, you never achieve complete maturity as a Christian. So it's a great reminder for us as well. But it's, it is particularly important for young people. And that's why Solomon uses this method to instill these truths to his audience at writing this poetry as if he is writing to his uh, probably young son, somebody who's teenage years or high school age today for us and instilling this knowledge to them so that they can be wise when they apply this knowledge to their lives. And the end result is going to be that we act, if we do that, then we act like Christians should act, or, or as Christians are instructed to act in the New Testament uh, epistles, the, the book of Proverbs and the instructional portions of, of the epistles just go absolutely hand in hand. And so we, have, we started last time our study of verses 20 through 33 of Proverbs 1, And we have this personification of wisdom. Wisdom is calling, will you answer, is the the title of this section. As we study the book of Proverbs, of course, it is 100% focused on the middle tense, present tense of our salvation, that is sanctification. A book of poetry written primarily by Solomon about a thousand years, 950 years before Christ. Uh, And if you'll remember, chapters 1 through 9 of Proverbs really serve as the prologue. It uh, kind of structured, those first nine chapters structured like a typical book where the chapters all have a cohesive point. They go, it all forms together to fall, to to form one main point in those chapters. And then as we move into chapter 10, it'll be more of the traditional way we think of Proverbs, short, pithy statements, kind of the, the memes, if you will, of 
the ninth century BC or ninth and eighth century BC. Short, pithy statements that are very powerful and applicable to our lives. So last time we really only got through the first point, the receivers. Who are the receivers of this call of wisdom? We find that in the opening verses. Proverbs 1.20, wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out at the entrance of the gates in the city. She utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. It's good to be a good reminder of what wisdom actually is. Here's Roy Zook, quote from him, Wisdom means being skillful and successful in one's relationships and responsibilities, observing and following the Creator's principles in order of order in the moral Universe. So wisdom is not just simply having this academic knowledge of the Trinity and the fact that God created the world in six literal days, and I've got my uh, uh, revelation timeline just nailed. I have all of this academic information in my life, and then I just go out and live however I want. That's uh, that reminds me very much of how, unfortunately, uh, we find the lives of a lot of Republicans in the public eye today, even though they may have a lot, a lot of things wired on economic principles and how the government, how the government ought to be structured, and and uh, what our foreign policy and immigration policy, and all of these kinds of things. But then their private life is a total disaster. Yeah, that. Those things don't go hand in hand, uh, and, and it does damage, I think, to, to the cause of conservatism when people live that way, let alone Christianity. I mean, if we, you can uh, see there's not a day that doesn't go by that there isn't another pastor or somebody who works in ministry who's being arrested or charges against them, some scandal in the church that does nothing but denigrate Christ and the Bible. So we need to apply the knowledge that we have to our lives. That's wisdom. And we looked at this last time. We saw wisdom is, is, is a personification. This isn't, although it may seem like at times that this is God, that wisdom equals God in the Proverbs. That's not precisely true. Wisdom is the truth, and, and it is uh, being personified here. So, you know, when it comes to truth and God, they're very closely intertwined because God is truth. His word is truth. So it's, kind of, it's hard to make that dividing line, but it's not technically uh, God being represented here as wisdom. No, it's, it's wisdom being portrayed as a person, and that's just a poetic device that Solomon is is using here to make his his point. And but the wisdom of God is very ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's calling out in the streets. It's at the gates. It's in the square. It's everywhere. We have to to be very purposeful 
or intentional, to use the, the super cool language of today, uh, to avoid God's wisdom because it's everywhere. It's calling out to us. And there are three people who basically, three sorts of people who reject God's wisdom and they are naive, the scoffer, the one who doesn't even need God, and the foolish uh, who just says that there is no God. We looked at at those uh, last time. And uh, boy, in order to make it through, I'm going to have to leave that other stuff for next time. So we'll go to uh, point two, repentance or rejection. And this is also goes very much hand in hand with our study in, in Revelation today. The book of Proverbs is really all about choice. We have a choice in this life about how we are going to act. Are we going to agree with God and his word? Are we going to turn from what we are thinking to the truth? Or are we just going to continue in our own way of thinking? Well, the choice, the choice is ours. And that's really the, probably the main takeaway from the book of Proverbs is that we have a decision to make in our, in our lives. Proverbs 1.23 says, Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Turn to the truth. This is uh, a, a, another word that in the... Uh, we'll get to it in Revelation again. Metanoeo in the Greek, or metanoia, that's uh, one of those terms, that Greek terms that we've talked a lot about. Well, in the Hebrew, it's the, the Hebrew term shub or shuv. You may, you may hear it uh, referred to as, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination in Hebrew pronunciation, but it essentially means the same thing. Turn. Turn from, uh, in this case, what you were thinking from your naivety, your scoffing, your foolishness. Turn from that to the wisdom. And this is uh, just goes hand in hand with the Greek term metanoia that, that is often translated as repent in our uh, English Bibles. And so you know, the question often comes up, uh, particularly in our circles, you know, is repentance required for salvation? Well, it depends on how you're defining the term. If you're defining repentance as feeling sorry for your sin, promising to never sin again, uh, uh, promising to do, always do your best, and these kinds of things, well, no, those are works. Uh, when you're defining the term that way, when you're defining it as the Bible does, as, as a mental exercise, essentially, a turning in your belief in, in what you are trusting in to trusting in Christ and trusting in, in God's word, then, well, yes, they're very closely tied. The idea of repentance and faith are very, very closely tied. Uh, tied. In fact, uh, some people say that there are two, two opposite sides of the same coin, and that's 
personally, I think that's a good way to to look at this topic. Uh, that we need to, in order to truly have faith, well, we have to turn from what we were believing before to the truth. And so those ideas are are very uh, intertwined. And, and they come to together in the concept of agreeing with God, turning from our own thinking of uh, I have to do good works, I have to be a good person, I have to white-knuckle it and make it through this area of temptation. And if I do that, if I'm successful and successful enough at that, then God will show me his favor. Well, that's just, that's anti-biblical. That's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that we need to trust in Christ completely and Christ alone in order to have the forgiveness of our sins and the choice is ours. And guess what? It doesn't end there in the Christian life. It's not a it's not a one-time decision and then uh, everything is fine for the rest of our lives. No, God leaves us here to live our lives. It is a one-time choice and whether or not we're going to spend eternity with God, but he still desires for us to live for him. And when we don't, there are dire consequences. There can be dire consequences. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. How to live your life in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. And this choice is ours. Notice verse 24 of Proverbs 1. Because I called and you refused I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. Verse 25, and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. That, that's choice. That's all there is to it. There is no other way around it. You, you cannot read into that uh, this idea that, well, God just hasn't dealt with that sin in my life yet, and so I'm just going to keep doing it. That's foolishness. That, that's just, uh, <laughs> that's a made-up man's doctrine that you can come across. No, the choice is ours, whether or not we are going to obey. As very clearly described there, because I called and you refused, uh, wisdom is saying here. Essentially, God is saying to us, he is calling out to us with the truth of his word, and we refuse. You did not want my Reproof, he says there. But notice, if we do accept it, if we do turn to the Lord and accept the truth of his word and the truth of this wisdom that is calling out to us, he will pour out his spirit on us. Uh, Verse 23, Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. And this is true. Uh, in the Christian life today, of course, we, we've spent a lot of time on this in our study of uh, Paul's epistles, the fact that God gives the Holy Spirit to believers at the moment that we trust in him, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 14, 
verses 16 through 17. Jesus in the upper room says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. Notice the condition there. It, on the other hand, if you do know him, then you will have the Holy Spirit. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And of course, this is a teaching that is being directed towards the apostles. Uh, and Je uh, Jesus goes on, John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And so that allows the apostles to be able to uh, write the scriptures for us. But this is also true of us. Uh, doesn't it uh, not that the Holy Spirit is going to help us remember everything and now we can write scripture? No. However, the Holy Spirit does indwell us. And if he doesn't indwell you, then you're not a Christian, according to the words of Paul, Romans 8, 9. However, he says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed, or better translation, if, as, if as is the fact, the spirit of God indwells, dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So a condition for having the Holy Spirit is trusting in Christ. When, when we do that, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Uh, just as was promised here in Proverbs 1.23, that if people in the Old Testament times turned to the truth, to wisdom, God would give them, pour out his Holy Spirit on them. And I will make my words known to you, he goes on to say. It's also true that in the future, God will pour out his spirit on the people of Israel. And we are getting to that time in our study of, of Revelation. As we get to the end of the tribulation period, uh, there will be a miraculous turning of the people of Israel, the Jewish people, to trust in Christ as those kings of the east with their billion-man army come across the dried up Euphrates River to invade them, and the United States and an entire conglomeration from the Western Hemisphere is coming, and Europe is coming, and Africa is coming at Israel, they're not going to have any other choice than to believe in Jesus, and they will, and God will pour out his Spirit upon them when they do. Joel 2.28, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That did not happen at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. It will happen in the future at the tribulation period, at the end of the tribulation. Zechariah 12.10, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And so we see uh, kind of prophetically that this is true for believers. It's true for the nation of Israel in the future. And it's true in our lives uh, uh, on a kind of a moment-by-moment basis, even. The more, uh, there is more knowledge for the faithful. What? You mean there's different levels of Christians? We're not all the same in this as we trust in God and his word more and more. We're more likely to bear more fruit in the less we trust in God and his word, the less fruit we're what? Where are you getting this from? How can that possibly be? Matthew 13, 23, Jesus himself. And the one on whom this, in the parable of the soils, the one on whom this uh, seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth. And we tend to just leave it there. Oh, great. But keep going, some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. There are different levels of Christians, uh, quite frankly. There's different levels of fruit-bearing, different levels of fruit-bearing ability in people. And also, in a large measure, it comes down to how willing we are to submit to the truth of God's Word and the convicting nature of it in our in our lives. And when we as we do that, we will bear more and more fruit. And notice also finally the results uh will make our way into that verse uh 26 of Proverbs 1. Uh I will also Wisdom still speaking here. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. There's that idea of a choice again. Verse 30, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof, so they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. So wisdom laughs and mocks at the rejection of the truth. This is a good indication uh, that, well, I guess we could say it's similar to God. Again, it's a personification of wisdom, but it's not exactly the same as God. Psalm 2.4 is very similar to this. That's looking to the end that mentions the Lord scoffing at them when the, the nations turn against him. 
And it, it, the fact of the matter is, what is being taught here is that rejection of God and rejection of wisdom leads to calamity in the life of the person who does that. And make no mistake, it's not. This isn't talking about oh, just unbelievers, uh, and the fact that you know. Well, of course, calamity is going to come to them, but that'll never touch me. Uh, that's because I'm a believer. That's just false. Again one-time decision to receive eternal life, moment-by-moment decision to walk with the Lord after that period of time. And if, if and when we don't, it can lead to calamity in our, in our lives. Uh, and this is similar to the end times. As we have seen in Revelation, Revelation 15, that temple fills with smoke at the, after the midpoint of the tribulation. There's no turning back. God is in his temple. He's going to pour out these judgments. And uh, if he were to be personified, the way that wisdom is getting, or Solomon is getting this point across, is that he's mocking at, at us and at people. Uh, in general, those who are rejecting the truth. The, these uh, results of sin are uh, just natural. They, f- they flow right out of it. You commit certain sins and the results are going to happen. There's nothing that can be, can be done about it. And that's true in the life of the believer or the unbeliever. Sin has consequences. And, and uh, Saul is a, a wonderful example of that in 1 Samuel 15, verses 24 through 28, that even though uh, Saul goes to Samuel in tears and, oh, you know, oh, I, you know I'm never going to do that again. Let's go worship the Lord. Uh, Samuel tells him, well, no, there are consequences for your sin. In fact, you're going to lose, you, you have forfeited the right to rule the nation because of this grievous sin that you have committed. And it's uh, very much the same, can be very much the same for us as believers. If we reject the truth of God and the application of it to our lives, the results, uh, the consequences of that can just flow right out naturally. These people hated, spurned, and rejected wisdom. Kind of reminds us of the nation of Israel in Jesus' time. They hated, spurned, and rejected, absolutely rejected everything that Christ had to say to them about who he was, how to have life, how the nation can have life. And Jesus lays that out pretty plainly, pretty plainly in Matthew 23 verses 13 through 36 and there uh, there are consequences uh, because of that but notice there is hope for us there is there's hope for for people in general verse 33 of proverbs 1 he but he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. I, I, when I read this passage, I can't help but think of the future 
and the and the tribulation period and these kinds of things i guess because that's what we're studying in revelation but it's just it's very clear that this that this uh, is applicable to our lives today and it's even more obviously applicable to the future for the entirety of the world that god if he were to be personified, will be like a person mocking at the at the people of the world as they reject him, even as he's pouring out these judgments, and uh, and it's going to be a horrible situation. But if you would just submit, if you would just believe and trust in God and His Word, you can live securely and be at ease from the dread of evil. And it's just one simple way for that to happen in our lives, to be set free from sin and its consequences. And it's simply trust in Christ and trust in his word. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you weary and heavy laden believer from the sin that is in your life? Turn to Christ. Make the choice to turn from sin and its, and its short-term benefits that you might be thinking of that really aren't benefits. And accept Christ in His Word, even though it might have short-term bad consequences or difficult consequences in your life as you deal with that the sin and its consequences, you will be set free from it. If you are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you want rest for your soul uh, on, a, on a daily basis? Turn to Christ, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that is, we made it. Just two minutes over. Wisdom is calling. Will you respond? Are you a person who scoffs at the truth of the Bible? Are you just uh, rejecting it outright? Are you a person who rejects God? Uh, well, that's foolish. You can, you can turn to him. You can trust in his word. And when you do that, the result is going to be that you are set free from sin and its consequences. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the wonderful book of Proverbs. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us as we walk with you. I pray that you would remind us of these things and help us to trust in you more and more each and every day, not for our good, not for our glory, but for your good and for your glory so that we can be lights for you in this world that so desperately needs the truth of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.